The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. Uh, flying solo this week. Missy is at home. I am uh, doing this from the studio. <laughs> it has been, you know, it's just been a crazy busy fall. I, I apologize again for the uh, lack of a podcast last week. We are really, really trying hard to get back on a weekly schedule, but we're just... I don't know. It's just been we've been inundated with uh, stuff that we've got to do around the uh, farm to get ready for winter. Uh, so let's see. This past weekend, it was uh, pepper pickling time or pepper fermenting time. Thanks to James in uh, Southern Virginia, we actually got seven pounds of Carolina Reaper peppers. These are the hottest peppers around right now, and they look—they just look evil. They are this day glow red. Just they, they scream, "Don't eat me!" Uh, you may have seen the, uh, the the video clip of the local news anchors. I think this was in Denver, Colorado, and they did what's called the one chip challenge. So this is one tortilla chip that is dusted uh, with uh, Carolina Reaper uh, powder, I guess, uh, and you're supposed to just you know eat the one chip. If you can eat the one chip without I don't know dying or screaming in pain, then. And you win that one chip challenge. Uh, one anchor ended up throwing up while she was uh, eating this. Took one bite, ended up throwing up. So we're looking at these peppers that are sitting on our dining room table in a box with with fear. Uh, you know, we're a little afraid to, to even look directly at the peppers uh, because our eyeballs might burst into flames. But we finally mustered up the courage this weekend, uh, and uh, Missy uh, ended up canning. I think we've got three uh, half gallon jars full of these Carolina Reaper peppers. Uh, We have also surpassed last year's uh, total of fermenting peppers. So this year, with with the the peppers that we grew last year, we ended up getting 31 bottles of hot sauce. So hopefully the 2018 batch, uh, we will have, I'm hoping for at least 50 bottles of hot sauce, because honestly, we don't have a whole lot left. We have been busy bartering and trading. Uh, and and by the way, if you've got something to barter, our email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. And uh, again, James in Virginia sent us seven pounds of Carolina Reaper peppers. We sent James a bottle of our hot sauce. I think we might have one bottle left of our original, the first batch of hot sauce that we made. We've still got probably a couple dozen bottles of the uh, the 2017 hot sauce, Freckles uh, Green Death, I think is what we called this one. I don't know, honestly, what next year's hot sauce is, uh, is going to be called. Uh, maybe don't use it. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to figure it out. But I will say this. The Carolina Reapers, we're actually going to have, I think, two different kinds of hot sauce, maybe even three, because we're going to add some of that Carolina Reaper, uh, the, the pure Carolina Reaper uh, uh, hot sauce into the hot sauce that we've made with the habaneros and the Hungarian wax and the uh, little cherries and the lipstick peppers. So I'm excited about next year's pepper process. We're going to have a lot of stuff to uh, give away uh, and a lot of stuff to trade with, which is good news. Uh, Let's see. Also put up a a shed over the weekend, a little Rubbermaid shed. Um, We have been, for the past four years, using Missy's home office also as our feed storage 
facility. Uh, so all of the goat chow, all of the hog chow, uh, you know, uh, the, the chicken scratch, the black oil sunflower seeds, the corn. We've got these big 50-pound bags that Mises had to navigate through uh, when she goes to her office. And, you know, we got dogs back there. So we wanted to clear out some of her space and give her a little more space. Uh, so now, actually, we have a feed shed for uh, all of the feed. I'm excited about that. Uh, I think it's big enough for all of the feed that we will need, although... We might need more hog chow because, uh, yeah, this was our foolish moment. Uh, here we go. Um, I think our pigs are pregnant. And we didn't really want our pigs to be pregnant. We were The plan was that uh, after uh, deer season was over, that we would take our two big hogs uh, to the processor because we can't get it done during deer season. There's no way. Uh, and that we would butcher the three, actually two of the three uh, little pigs, the bacon seeds that were born earlier this year. We were going to keep the girl. We were going to uh, go ahead and butcher the two boys. And a couple days ago, uh, Missy tells me, you know, I, I think the hogs might be pregnant. They really look like their bellies are getting low to the ground. Their teats are really pronounced now in a way that uh, uh, they, they weren't a few weeks ago. I go out to check this weekend, and sure enough, I think both Cottontail and Smog are preggers. So I'm not really looking forward to this. The, the average gestation period for pigs, three months, three weeks, three days. I don't know if it's three hours, three minutes, three seconds, but it's three months, three weeks, and three days. So you're basically looking at a, a four-month gestation period. Now, depending on when these pigs got pregnant, like if they got pregnant, you know, mid-October, okay, October to November, November to December, December to January, January, February, you're getting towards the tail end of winter uh, when these bacon seeds will be born. If, on the other hand, they got pregnant, let's say, mid-September, and they're just now starting to show, which I suspect is the case, then you're looking at these bacon seeds being born in mid-January, right in the depths of winter. I'm not looking forward to this. Um, the last time we had bacon season, this was the, the, the last time that we actually had newborn piglets. That was the first time and the last time that we've had this. We've never done that before. We've always gotten you know hogs that are a little bit older. They've already been weaned. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of screwed up this time around, I think. Um, so we're going to have to make sure that winter quarters for the hogs this year are uh, bigger than what they have had in the past, that uh, they can handle. Because if we've got two moms, I mean, we had, with one pregnant pig last year, nine bacon seeds. So if we have two right now, and there's a potential that we could actually have a third female hog who's pregnant. Griddle so far is not showing any signs of being pregnant. But if the other two girls are pregnant, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that Griddle might be knocked up too. So we could be looking at 18 to 20 to maybe 25 piglets being born uh, in the depths of winter. I just I don't know how that's going to work out. I'm a little concerned about that going forward, but uh, that is going to be our, our next big project is actually building them uh, winter quarters that uh, uh, that will suffice uh, as uh, birthing quarters and as a nursery for the bacon seeds as well. Meanwhile, if you've ever wanted a baby pig, 
just in time for Valentine's Day, we might have some for you. So there you go. All right, we're going to step away for just a moment or two, but we do have more 40 Acres and a Fool, including some of your thoughts. So stick around. We'll be back with more right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Gray. I forgot he was black for about an hour. What of the rest of the time are you thinking, this is a black man. I can't believe this. This this guy's black. None of us think that way. Obviously, Chris Matthews does. And when you think about it, when you kind of analyze it and take it apart, that's a pretty racist statement. You forgot he Absolutely. was black for an hour? And then the rest of the time you're like, oh wait, that's right. He's a black Pat man. Gray. Weekdays noon to three Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. So, so far, we actually haven't had a freeze uh, where we are. We've had a couple of mornings where it's gotten down about 36 degrees. We've had some frost advisories, but so far, we actually haven't even had any frost. So, uh, the tomatoes, uh, I mean, it's, it's now November here. We still have a couple of tomatoes that are still struggling, uh, still producing, and uh, I, I think we gathered, uh, we picked probably, I don't know, two pints this past weekend. Uh, mostly cherry tomatoes, the bigger tomatoes that we have, the Cherokee Purples. They're pretty much done for the year. The Amish Gold Slicers, they're done as well. But uh, in terms of our little tiny tomatoes, the Sun Golds are still going strong. They're the really small, sweet. They turn like a bright orange color. Uh, and they taste more like a, like a fruit than a, uh, than a, well, I guess a tomato is a fruit. But uh, <clears throat> you know what I meant there. They taste really sweet, almost like little tomato candy. Uh, those are still going really well. The peppers... Eh, mostly dead now. Uh, you know, the peppers need that that really warm, dry heat, uh, and we just haven't had a lot of warm, dry heat. We've had, you know, a lot of 60-, 70-degree days, a lot of uh, lows in the 30s and 40s. Um, it has been fairly dry, but uh, we've gotten some rain over the past couple of weeks. Just not good pepper weather. So Missy and I uh, went out over the past weekend. We uh, picked a peck or two of uh, peppers and uh, we so we still have some more to uh, to go but we're starting to wrap up the garden uh now that it's november starting to pull out we've pulled out all of the basil in our front garden uh turned that into pesto the basil had started to go to seed um the uh uh zinnias which were the edible flowers that we had uh, eaten or, or that we had uh, planted uh those are still going strong i, I gotta tell you we tried to eat the zinnias because we grew them because my my wife said oh they're edible you can put them in salads and stuff. I mean, I guess they're edible in the way that, you know, you can eat them. I think there's a reason why you don't see, like, fried zinnias on uh, on the menu anywhere. Uh, you can eat them, and they're not going to hurt you, but they really don't taste like much. So uh, those are gone. Uh, pumpkins are toast. They're, they're over and done with. So, yeah, the, uh, the garden, the, the growing season for 2017 – is pretty much over. And I got to say, man, I think it was, looking back, it certainly was much more successful than last year uh, where, you know, we had just put our stuff in the ground and then Miss E got uh, sick and then we spent the summer trying to figure out what was going on and the fall trying to figure out how we uh, fight Miss E's lung cancer. This year has been much better. 
Uh, we we didn't have obviously any health problems for Miss E. It was a road to recovery. Uh, we didn't go crazy with our garden like we had done in the past. Uh, in years past, we always have these grand plans, and we get probably you know seventy five percent or eighty percent uh, done, and then we just kind of got we would we would overwhelm ourselves with how much we were growing and how much there was to do. So we decided to take it easy this year. We decided that we weren't going to. Uh, kill ourselves and trying to plant every stinking thing that we wanted. We stuck with peppers and tomatoes. Uh, we didn't do the cucumbers this year. We didn't do peas and, and beans, and we would like to do that next year. But we wanted to ease ourselves back into it. And I got to say, I think it was, despite the fact that we got a late start, we were probably six weeks late putting our uh, uh, seeds, uh, in, well, putting our plants in the ground. We were okay. We were on time actually starting the seeds. Then we were just a little late moving the uh, seedlings out of the house and into the ground by about six weeks or so. So we didn't start getting our tomatoes until mm, mid-August was really like the first time that uh, this year that we were able to start getting the tomatoes. And that was late. Um, but we were still picking tomatoes when uh, other gardens were done. So we we got a late start, but uh, it kept going. We use indeterminate tomatoes uh, as opposed to determinate tomatoes, and I think that makes obviously a huge difference. The indeterminate tomatoes will keep producing. They'll keep flowering until they die. The determinate tomatoes, you get one batch, they all sort of come in at once, and then they're done. Uh, so we have found that we like the indeterminate uh, tomatoes better, and uh, and they again they they worked really well for us. So now it's a matter of trying to figure out well what do we want to do next year, and you know what do we want to add to? We only used about half of our garden space this year, uh, so we do have plans for next year. Some of the things that we did learn: um, basil and tomatoes go great growing together, but you got to make sure that uh, you plant the basil where it's not going to get choked off by the uh, by the size of the tomato plants. The basil still needs to get sun. So you put the basil up front uh, facing the sun. You put the uh, tomatoes behind. That's what we did anyway. Um, that worked well, uh, pairing those two together. The peppers and tomatoes, we had uh, uh, interspersed uh, in our garden. So we had one row of tomatoes, then we had one row of peppers, one row of tomatoes, and we alternated. And we irrigated our uh, our garden this year. We had a soaker hose system that we had put down, and that turned out to be problematic too, because tomatoes and peppers uh, need different amounts of water. Uh, the tomato plants are, are going to be water hogs, uh, at least more water hogish than, than a pepper plant will be. So having the tomatoes and the pepper plants interspersed all in that one system, that's something that we're going to be changing next year. The peppers are going to get their own spot in the garden. They will have their own uh, soaker hose system so that they won't get watered as much because I think we overwatered. And I think that uh, it, it didn't kill off any of the pepper plants, but they kind of struggled growing uh, compared to the tomato plants this year, we we were we were also really late getting our peppers out. So next year we're going to try to change that up a little bit. Uh, make sure that uh, the tomatoes and the cucumbers, everything else that needs the water more, uh, is on a separate watering system uh, and a separate watering schedule than the uh, the stuff like like peppers. And hopefully that's going to uh, produce a a better garden for us next year. You know, again, it's been it's hard to imagine this for me, but it's been almost five years since we moved from Northern Virginia to the farm. 
So 2014, uh, 2013 was our first growing season. So we've had four years of, of doing a big garden. And while we certainly have learned some lessons, and we haven't repeated the same mistakes again and again and again, it is sometimes it's kind of frustrating how much we still have left to learn and the mistakes that we still make. Um, but you can also look back and you can you can see the progress. You can see the the things that uh, uh, that you weren't able to do before that you didn't know how to do, and now you've got a handle on it. And it feels good to actually make that progress. I I still think I'm. I still think the, the name of this program, the uh, 40 Acres and a Fool, I still think that fits. I still feel very foolish some days on the farm, but uh, we're starting to, to learn a little bit more. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we've got a couple of uh, stories from around the country to get to. Also, uh, some of your thoughts as well. So stick around. There's more 40 Acres and a Fool on the way. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back here to 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards flying solo this week. Uh, Missy, I promise we'll be back soon. She looked great, by the way, for uh, Halloween. She was a fairy godmother. We have glitter everywhere. It's like a stripper threw up in our house. Uh, There's just so much glitter on so many things right now, but uh, she looked fantastic. Uh, and uh, we gave out candy, our, our Halloween tradition in Farmville. So this is pretty cool. We, I've never seen anything like this. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Oklahoma City. We just would wander around our neighborhood, knocking on the doors, the typical Halloween experience. Um, in Farmville, there are some older neighborhoods, but you you don't really have a lot of like the quote unquote, you know, suburban subdivisions. So Rather than, and I, I think that they do still, uh, you know, walk the, some of the neighborhoods, but it's hard the way this town is laid out and living in a rural area to just go door to door and and get your uh, trick or treating in. So uh, on Main Street in Farmville, every Halloween, they have a parade, of, a costume parade. All the kids will walk up and down Main Street, and all of the shops and stores and offices on Main Street, including the uh, Cam & Company studios from NRA TV, uh, will hand out candy to the kids. And then this year they added what was called the Pumpkins on the Plaza event. So the Virginia State Parks were there. This was down by the uh, Highbridge Trail State Park. Uh, They had s'mores that they were making, and uh, they had like a pumpkin painting station. And uh, there was supposed to be live music. We didn't stick around for that. But uh, it was a really good time. And I got to tell you, like the little town of Farmville is turning into a really hip kind of place here. Uh, I don't know if we're getting gentrified necessarily, but it's weird. You know, uh, just from, again, from five years ago when we first moved down here, the old Southern States uh, uh, co-op building is now condos and a and a brewery. 
Uh, you've got, there is an old abandoned uh, bank building right at the corner of Main and 3rd, which is the big uh, cross section in, uh, quote unquote, downtown Farmville. Uh, and this bank building had been closed, I don't know for how long, 10 years, 15 years maybe. Uh, it's now been renovated. And the uh, top floor is a student housing. We have a Barnes and Noble Longwood University bookstore that just opened up. We've got a new bakery that's opened up on Main Street called uh, Mill Street Sweets. Uh, does fantastic donuts, by the way. This is very dangerous that we now have a place making fresh donuts every morning, like half a block away from my studio. Not, not good. So far, I've only gone once. And I'm, I'm, battling with myself every morning. You don't need a donut. You don't need a but they taste so good. Nutella covered donuts. Oh, they're just amazing. But we're getting kind of hip here in Farmville. It's awesome. I, I like it. Uh, and it's it's a little it is a little strange seeing this, you know, quiet, sleepy small town kind of spring to life. We've got two new hotels that are going up. They're building a Holiday Inn Express. They're building a uh, I think it's true by Hilton uh, going in, and then uh, this old hotel called the Hotel Wyanoke, which is about a, another block or so from my studio. This was uh, a hotel going back to the th- 1920s, I think. Uh, then it was student housing for Longwood University because it's right across the street from Longwood. Somebody bought the building. They got a a, a big grant from the state of Virginia. Terry McAuliffe was down here blah, uh, and, and was promoting this. But they're renovating the Hotel Wyanoke. They're expanding it, turning it into a boutique hotel. Yeah, Farmville, Virginia is going to have a boutique hotel. But we also have our Virginia tasting room where you've got like eight or nine different wineries that you can sample all in one place. So they're doing, I think, a really great job of trying to turn – Farmville, Virginia, and the surrounding area into a a weekend uh, getaway destination where you know you can go and, and spend a Saturday or a Sunday here, and you can walk the trail. You can go uh, maybe uh, canoeing or kayaking on the Appomattox. You can check out the antique stores and Greenfront Furniture. You can check out the museums. We're not far away from Patrick Henry's old house. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of stuff to to see and do if you are a uh, a history lover, if you are a, a foodie. Although I still think we we have a ways to go before we become a a foodie destination here in Farmville. We didn't miss E to start uh, a, a restaurant, I think, before we uh, get there. But it is cool to see what the uh, what the town is doing. And, you know, again, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? I ran across this story. This was, I think, in Missouri. The, uh, the Cedar Republican, Cedar County. Um, there was a, a column by a guy named James Hamilton. Family farm fades into history. And he said, the quaint Ozarks farm, which shaped and nurtured him and his brothers, now just a long chapter in our family history. He says, I'll no longer wander those fields. Our doe-eyed Jersey cows grazed when I was a boy. I'll never again rest in the shade of the big oak tree where dad so often welcomed neighbors to sit a spell and visit about the cattle, the horses, and the dogs. I'll not scrape a pitchfork across the floor of the oak barn's hayloft to gather the last bites of Lisperdeza hay in late winter or savor the aroma of fried chicken emanated from the kitchen as I finish my evening chores. All is gone, he writes, not erased suddenly, as if by wind or fire, but gradually faded like a photograph hanging too long in the sunlight. Hamilton says, in truth, the farm of my youth has been more memory than reality for several years. He's the eldest of four boys. He said he left the farm 50 years ago. My brothers, he says, followed in turn. Dad, he says, will have been gone. 
12 years this December, mom 10 years in April, though the farm was in decline long before their passing. As happens to us all, he writes, dad gradually became less able to keep the fences up or even repair a barn door left hanging by one rusty hinge nailed to a rotting board. James Hamilton says he was able to help with many of the chores in his later years, but he wasn't able to do what was needed to maintain the farm that he remembered. 39 acres. He says, ours was no small farm in dad's mind, though. With mom working in town, we were four boys in their pod, just like the Cartwrights on the Ponderosa. James Hamilton says, we began clearing that old farm 60 years ago. It's not in us to start over again. It's time someone else picked up that axe and that saw. He says, the farm today looks much like the brushy 39 acres that we began clearing in 1957. As any Ozarks landowner knows, he writes, only diligent care can keep the cedars, the honey locusts, and the rose bushes at bay. Mother Nature will otherwise have her way. Neither does she ever tire, unlike we who labor to hold her back with saw and axe. You know, I can tell James Hamilton, it's not just the uh, Ozark soil that uh, breeds those cedars and the honey locusts and the uh, rose bushes. Um, it happens uh, here in Virginia, too. That's something that I've actually uh, noticed, and this is part of my to-do list over the winter, is to cut back uh, some of the trees and the saplings. A lot of them are the uh, either the honey locust uh, or the... Uh, I think we actually have the honey locust. We don't have the black locust uh, trees, but we've got a bunch of honey locust. We have some massive, massive cedar trees that uh, have now produced several smaller, smaller cedar trees that I've got to take care of as well. And it is a, a never-ending chore. I mean, that's the thing. When you, when you drive through the country and you see these beautiful fields and they're surrounded by woods and it looks almost organic, it looks almost like, 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 like it's always been that way. It's really easy to forget that, no, every bit of that cleared land was cleared by hand by settlers who have uh, whose descendants have maintained those clearings and those pastures uh, for generations. You know, our neighbors' uh, family have lived on their farm since the early 1800s, and their farm looks absolutely beautiful, not because they picked a beautiful spot that already had all of these pastures there, but because their ancestors cleared out that land and they've been maintaining it ever since. So James Hamilton, who is saying goodbye to his family's farm, said it's no small thing selling the family farm, as faded as its reality may be. It's not just a parcel of property, he says. It's part of who we are. You know, I think about that. As I mentioned a couple of times here, it's been almost five years since we moved. And the farm that we moved to, it's still... If you talk to, you know, old timers uh, in our small town, this isn't the Edwards place. Uh, This is still the place that uh, is the family that lived there for six or seven generations. Right. So it's it's the word place and it's probably going to be the word place for as long as we live there. And, you know, reading this by James Hamilton talking about selling the family farm. my perspective was of purchasing a family farm. Now we weren't the first, there was a, there was a couple who lived in our house before us. 
the family that lived in that house for seven generations sold it in the late 90s. And a, a couple from Richmond, Virginia moved in and bought it and lived there uh, uh, full-time and then part-time and then no time uh, before they uh, sold it uh, to us in 2012. So we weren't like the direct recipients of that family farm. But, you know, we still have the family graveyard on our property that dates back to the 1840s. We walk around this farm and we can see the work that previous generations put in. A lot of that work isn't really standing anymore. You know, the old pump down by the creek, that's broken. Uh, the cinder blocks that uh, kind of litter the area where our, our goats are right now, those broken cinder blocks are what remain of a chicken coop that was put up in the 1950s that's no longer there. But we still have some outbuildings that date back to the 19th century. Uh, we have, you know, done some farm archaeology and have uncovered uh, junk and glass jars and uh, whatnot going back to the 1940s and 50s. We are reminded every day that, uh, that we are temporary stewards of the land that we live on, the house that we live in, and that one day, and I hope that it is many, many, many years from now, uh, we're likely to be in the same position as James Hamilton, having to get rid of that family farm. I would love if we could keep the 40 acres in our family for the rest of our lives and uh, the rest of my kids' lives. But in order to do that, you got to have uh, kids who are willing and able and wanting uh, to work that land and to stay on the farm. And as of right now, I honestly, I don't know if we have that. I don't. It's kind of sad to think about. But uh, uh, James Hamilton out there in uh, Cedar County, I am sorry that uh, you're having to say goodbye to the family farm, but I do hope that the uh, new owners will let you come back and visit. We've actually had a couple of visits from uh, people who um, used to uh, uh, not live in the house, but were friends of the uh, family who lived there. Uh, a, a housekeeper who used to work there back in the 50s and 60s came one day and um, really super nice lady. And I hope that, that whoever uh, ends up on your family farm, James Hamilton, I hope that they will let you come visit as well. All right, we're going to step away for a moment or two. When we come back, though, we do have some of your thoughts. The email address, 40acrefool at gmail.com. That is 40acrefool at gmail.com. We will be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Glenn Back. When our government and when our lives are not centered on eternal truth and common sense, then anybody's the judge and all bets are off. You become a nation of equality. It's not equality. It is all men are created equal. But then it is incumbent on you on what do you do with your opportunity that you've been given. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. All right. Let's get to uh, some emails, shall we? 
here on 40 Acres and a Fool. Um, first off, uh, Brent checking in says, uh, Cam, I've listened to you for years, and the interview that you did recently on uh, Cam and Company with Charlie Daniels had to be the best, or at least in the top two interviews that you've done. Well, thank you. First of all, Brent, I had a great time talking with Charlie Daniels. I could have done that for an hour. I got to talk with Charlie Daniels for three hours, all three hours of Cam and Company, uh, which you can hear daily. Midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius X and Patriot 125. Live, 2 to 5 Eastern on NRA TV, Monday through Friday. Charlie's got a new book out now called Never Look at the Empty Seats. And it's a memoir of his life in music, which, you know, Charlie's 81 now. And he's been playing music since he was like 13. Uh, He's been playing professionally for more than 50 years. And he has... Just a uh, an incredible sense of humor. Uh, he is just the most humble, down to earth guy. I mean, you talk to him, and you if, if you didn't know his background, if you didn't know the success that he has had, as you're talking to him, he's just a normal guy. Just, he's just Charlie, but he's uh, he's a fantastic interview and a huge supporter of the Second Amendment. So you can actually check that interview out. By the way, at NRATV.com. Um, also. Checking in with uh, Chris, who says, Greetings from the state that recently banned an exceptionally quiet musket. <laughs> California. Uh, how about that? Is that California that, that banned the quiet musket? I think that's the, uh, the Silencer Co. Maxim 50, the uh, suppressed muzzle loader. Uh, Chris says, It's finally happened. After years of trying to convince my wife to move south where the political climate is more favorable to a liberty-minded person, we compromised and we are going... North. I'm sure anyone married can relate, says Chris. I was taking a a quick cat nap before a car meet, and shortly before my alarm went off, my wife woke me up and said, is New Hampshire an option? Sleepily, I said, for what? To move? I guess so. With that, she says, hey, can we talk about moving before you leave? We talked for about an hour and a half, says Chris, and while I was not thrilled with New Hampshire as an option, she uh, had a compelling argument. Decent gun laws, decent car laws, uh, no laws against specific dog breeds. Chris says, I know my wife, and once she has an idea in her head, it's not going away. So our plan is to find some property and build a house and garages and be moved in by early 2019. On the list is a greenhouse, chickens and goats for sure. Eggs and goat's milk goes fast in my house. I make cheese and soap from it. Chris says, it feels like a long time, and tomorrow, all at the same time. Yeah, I I get that, Chris. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, once you get that plan, you start to put it into fruition, things seem like they're moving slowly. But at the same time, it's rushing towards you, right? And I got to tell you, um, uh, New Hampshire, I think, is actually a, a really good place. I follow a couple of uh, small farmers on uh, on Twitter when I'm on Twitter, which hasn't been much lately, honestly. Um, but uh, I follow one small farmer who lives, I think, up near the White Mountains and absolutely beautiful. Uh, moved from New York City up there a few years ago, and she seems to be having a, a wonderful time, especially compared to uh, living in New York. Uh, Chris says, after we last spoke, suddenly my garden turned around, by the way. I went from the inadvertent flower garden to a suddenly everything's producing. Maybe the bees were more interested in the flowers versus my garden. I don't know. We have no shortage of pollinators for sure, says Chris. With the crazy weather we're having here, going from near freezing to 70, 80, 90 degrees, I'm not sure how much production we will get. But it is nice to see my efforts paying off, except for the kale that I planted. Deer got to it, ate it almost to the roots, and it's not coming back. The one thing that nobody eats will not go away. (laughs) 
Uh, and the foods that, uh, that Chris misses that he can't get where he lives now, that was a, a question that we had last uh, podcast. Chris says, uh, it's obvious, Taylor Pork Roll. Good sub, good pizza, sticky buns from Chester's Bakery. I do have a confession, though. Even living where I have lived, I've never had a cheesesteak. What? Not once, and uh, not for any good reason. Pause for Miss E's rant. Oh, Chris, aren't you lucky that uh, uh, Miss E is not here to rant? I'm actually going to share this email with you as well. Also, uh, uh, Miss E got a question from Chris about uh, Gradient Pearl uh, on your trip home. Uh, she, uh, Chris wonders, did you get her spoon? Um, not yet, Chris. I can actually answer that question for Miss E. Not yet. Um, but I believe that uh, they have not dispersed all of the belongings of uh, Great Aunt Pearl yet. So I, I still have confidence that uh, Missy is going to get that that spoon. She's going back up to New Jersey here in a couple of weeks, actually, and she'll be talking to her dad. So I will uh, hopefully have an update for you. Missy will have an update for you. Uh, Chris says, with that, I will leave you. I have wood to chop for winter, land to find, laws to read. It's going to be the shortest and longest year of my life, I think. Hey, you know, listen, Chris, at least you got a year. Right? I mean, from the time that we started looking, from the time that we decided, okay, let's do something crazy. Let's just do something crazy. Let's start looking for a farm outside of D.C. Uh, to the time that we actually moved into the house was about four months. Yeah, maybe five. Maybe five. July to December. Uh, Mid-July to, uh, to, to mid-December. That was it. And, you know, we didn't have a plan as to, well, we, we did. We had a plan. The plan was uh, I will work in D.C. and I will drive home on the weekends and we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And that was our plan. <laughs> and, and we did. So, you know, you can, you can plan and I encourage you to plan. I encourage you to look up all these things. But uh, on some level... And you know this, Chris, on some level, it is just a leap of faith. And you take your wife's hand and you leap together. And uh, I have a feeling that uh, you're going to land with a happy ending. All right. One more uh, email uh, to get to here. This from uh, Robin in the Shenandoah area talking about uh, Chinese food because we were so excited to discover a good Chinese place. About uh, 20 miles from our house. Robin says there's a great documentary on Netflix called The Search for General Tao uh, or General So. Not only did it go into how this dish came about, but the history of Chinese restaurants in the United States. Huh. Uh, I will have to check that out, Robin. It, it, there's a distinct possibility that uh, we will actually be able to watch streaming videos at our house here before long, which we have not been able to do in uh, five years. But satellite Internet supposedly making leaps and bounds... We'll see. We are uh, we're supposed to get the next generation of satellite internet installed at our place actually this week. And we've been promised. Now, those of you who live with, you know, like Google Fiber and stuff like that, you're going to laugh. Okay? Because we've been promised uh download speeds of 25 megabytes per second compared to like 1000 megabytes per second for Google Fiber. But according to the Dish Network folks, this is fast enough to stream video, which we've never been able to do through our satellite internet. Uh, So I'm kind of excited because uh, we might be able to actually get Netflix and, and watch 
at our house. So I will uh, put this in the queue, the search for General Sal. Uh, Robin says, I really miss real, quote-unquote, American Chinese food. When I was younger, not even a kid, you could always get water chestnuts, bamboo shoots, bok choy, mung bean sprouts, parasol mushrooms, other Chinese vegetables. Now, all I found is American vegetables cooked up Chinese style. I miss the more authentic vegetables, but I never hear anybody mention the change in the veggies. I don't even eat Chinese anymore because of this. Yeah, you know, I remember the uh, the parasol mushrooms. You're right. I haven't seen those in a while. Um, I still see the bamboo shoots. still see the water chestnuts. I still see the bok choy around. Mung bean sprouts. I don't think I was ever a huge fan of mung bean anyway. I like saying it, mung bean. But... Uh, Nah, the parasol mushrooms are the ones that, 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 now that you mention it, Robin, I think have disappeared from the uh, Chinese dishes where I live. Uh, Robin says she's been trying to decide if she wants to expand into a pig or goats or both. <laughs> well, Robin, have I got a deal for you. I think you should, uh, I think you should definitely expand into pigs. And uh, I, I'll be happy to even give you a starter set here in a few months. Yeah, you just come down, pick them up, and uh, you can have, chances are, you can have as many pigs as you can fit in your vehicle, all right? Because we're going to be swimming in bacon seeds. Uh, Robin says, I wish I could rent a pig. I just don't have a big family, so it would just be a lot for one. Has Missy ever cured a ham? She has, and uh, it's gone very well, actually. The first time it didn't, the first ham was, it was okay. It wasn't hammy enough. We didn't uh, actually cure it long enough. Um, now we've got it done, uh, down, and uh, usually we'll let it cure for a good six weeks or so, and you do get that nice, salty, hammy taste. The thing is, though, with a pig, like they're really not a lot of work, Robin. They're really not, particularly if you start one young, and I don't think you want to get just one. You do want, I would think, at least two for companionship, if nothing else. But they're really good. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, if, as long as you have good fencing, so you can keep them contained. Um, that's really the big issue, you know. Now, if you want to pasture raise them and you want to move that fence around, you're right. That's going to be a little tough for one person to do. Um, but if you have a static spot and you're just planning on feeding them, you know, sow chow or, or hog chow, and uh, you know, getting them nice and juicy, and then turning them into a, a ham and bacon and whatnot, I think that, that that's, that's doable with one person uh, because they're, they're, they're fairly low-key. Uh, you know, we've got six right now, and we just moved them to a fresh pasture about a week ago. Uh, that was one of the other reasons why we didn't do a podcast. We had limited amount of daylight uh, on uh, Saturday and Sunday last weekend and had a lot of stuff to get done, including moving the pigs. But, I mean, that's probably going to be the biggest thing for you would be, you know, moving them to fresh pasture. But if you decide, all right, I want to go that route. We're not going to pasture raise them this time around. We're going to, you know, put them actually in a pen. We're going to make sure that they get lots of food and water. That, I think, is easy uh, or, or, or at least very doable uh, for uh, one person. So uh, Robin says, what is there in the care of a pig? Do they have to eat twice a day? How much space do they need? I notice you move yours around. What if you can't? Yeah, so... If uh, we feed ours once a day because they are also noshing on grass uh, as we move them around. So we do feed them sow chow uh, and we will feed them usually about a coffee can worth of sow chow, uh, probably about a half a can per pig once a day. 
Uh, now that we're getting into winter, and once the grass dies, we'll be adding more food to them um, uh, because they won't, won't be getting, able to get the nutrients from the uh, from the grass. So, yes, you make sure that they have water, and that's probably our biggest struggle more than food. Food's easy. You know, you feed them once a day, they chow it down, they're good. The water has been a struggle for us. Uh, we started out with a big 40-gallon upright water tank that – uh, had a, a, uh, a, a nozzle, basically. So the pigs uh, were supposed to wrap their lips around this nozzle, and they could, like a, like a big old hamster or gerbil water waterer, right? That didn't work too well with the pigs. They could get the water out, but they would use that nozzle as a back scratcher, and eventually they broke the water tank. So we decided, uh, okay, we're going to go a different route. And we got another upright water tank, and we installed a different kind of water. So this one was more of a faucet, and there was a little, uh, there's like a little bowl, and there's a uh, almost a, a, a button that the pig pushes with its nose, and uh, the water comes into the bowl, and then the pig drinks from the bowl. Yeah, that didn't work either. Uh, worked for a little while. Again, the back scratching, the water got really dirty uh, in the little bowl. Uh, just it, it didn't work. And then when we had younger pigs, uh, they couldn't reach. So what we've figured out the easiest thing to do is we just have uh, one big water dish that's probably, I don't know, five or six gallons worth of water. We keep it full. We clean it out almost every day because it will get dirty. Uh, because the pigs will root around, and then they'll put their dirty snout in the clean water. And so you got to clean it. Um, we fill it up every day. In the summer, when it's warm, we'll probably end up filling it up twice a day because what will happen is we'll fill it up, pigs will drink uh, some water, and then they'll knock it over uh, to create a mud puddle, and then all of a sudden their nice clean water is uh, is gone and you have to fill it up again. So the, the watering to me is the bigger challenge with the pigs. And if anybody out there has any great ideas on how to uh, successfully uh, uh, put together one of these, you know, uh, big barrels with a, uh, a watering mechanism that the pigs will actually not destroy in a matter of weeks, I would love to hear it. Because we just kind of gave up and decided, all right, it's 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 more of a pain for us. It's more work for us. Um, but they they can't destroy their dish the way that they were destroying the uh, the the accessories like the nozzles and stuff. So there you go. Hopefully that helps out, Robin. If you've got any other questions, uh, feel free to drop a line. And- I promise uh, we'll get back to them uh, sooner rather than later. Hopefully, now that uh, we've wrapped up for the most part our growing season, things are settling down for the winter. Uh, we have house guests this weekend, but after that, I think we're pretty clear. And hopefully we'll back to a, a weekly schedule. I do appreciate your patience as we've been trying to struggle to get back to that. But uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that you will hear from Missy and myself in about a week. And in the meantime, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool here on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.